Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. We're indoors again today, uh, doing a little bit of child minding very early in the morning. It's 5.30 and, well, <clears throat> it's great to be back on deck doing these great uh, morning podcasts and uh, they're much easier for me when I sit down looking out through my back balcony over the garden. Uh, the, it feels a little bit like it uh, might have rained last night. The big, we've got these beautiful... Um, tropical ferns that have great big leaves on them. They glisten and shine in the early morning before the sun's fully up. Uh, it's just great to look out the backyard and see it. It was beautifully mowed by the gardeners yesterday. Um, so it's a gorgeous day and of course we've got the windows open. It's, uh, it's summer, it's warm and very friendly. Living with spirit, uh, living with spirit is uh, a really beautiful thing because it's basically saying you live deliberately, and living deliberately doesn't mean uh, that there is not randomness or that we don't have to deal with the unexpected. But I would say living with spirit means that you've eliminated most of the unexpected experiences that might come in the future. Remembering all eyes are turned to the future. The future depends very much on the stories we've told about the past. And the more we look into the future, looking for what might go wrong or might not go the way we want, and having plans to deal with that, the more powerful we become. That's the first thing. And so I think a lot of future seeing, a lot of time spent future seeing, visualising what this year is going to look like, is a really important part of the game of life. Now, love and intimacy is not the game of life. If that's your ambition for the future, forget about it. That is not. That is how you schmooze your way through the day, through your life. You have love and intimacy. But when you make decisions, when you make any decisions to either increase or decrease or or uh, imbibe yourself with love and intimacy, you are not strategizing the future. What you're doing is uh, decorating the present. And so I think it's really important, love and intimacy, I think is one of certainly my most important values. But when it comes to strategizing, when it comes to playing the game of life, it it sits there as something that makes the game of life enjoyable to do, but it isn't the rules of the game. The other thing that's really easy when you're doing this to fall into the trap of giving up. It's saying, look, I'll just go for the ride. And of course, that's fine. Um, it's a very creative uh, experience to just go for the ride, to wake up and let whatever thoughts come to your head come, whatever feelings happen in your body become responsive to them, whatever memories of the past um, that you've got, not think about whether they're influencing the future, whatever plans you've got for this year, just let it come step by step, sit on the back of the bus and let somebody drive it. Um, it's very easy to give up playing the game. And I think when we live with spirit, it, we are saying we want to we want to in 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 some type, in some way participate in the game of life. We want to feel like we are a player, not a reactor, not a responder, not of not a person who 
just wakes up and goes, what's on, what's going to happen today? How exciting. That is not excitement. That is testimony to a person who's given up the game. So the first thing what I said is don't make love and intimacy uh, a focal point um, because it's, it's how you decorate the journey. It's the icing on the cake. Uh, that's number one. Number two, uh, be careful about the concept of giving up. And if you plan the future, uh, which, you call, which is what I call future seeing, if you plan the future, what you're doing is visualising the future and all the things that might disturb or disrupt or distract you from the thing that you're aiming for. We have to be mindful always of the past and everything we react to on a daily basis, everyone and everything is a memory. Now, yeah, this is a really important uh, aspect of the game. Now, the game says, I want to build my future. I want to be the uh, driver of my bus. I want to enjoy the game of life and I want to play to win. And when you play to win, you have to be make sure that the bus, the maintenance of the bus you're driving is in a good nick. And the way the universe or the way nature has planned that is to say every single reaction you have is a memory. So if somebody walks in the door and says, boo, and you react and say, oh, how dare you? Or if one of the kids uh, comes in, drops a cup on the floor or spills their, their breakfast or does something like that. What's triggering your reaction is not what happened. Because if you're fully present with it, it doesn't really matter what happened. So what's triggering your reaction is a memory. And that memory may or may not be an accurate interpretation of the thing you remembered. Remembering the subconscious mind is built 100% to shortcut thinking, to save you time, to save you energy thinking about things. Let me take a sip of my tea. Mm. Yum, love a cup of tea in the morning. So the subconscious mind is, is, is absolutely built to take shortcuts. And what it does, it takes something that happens. Let's say you stick your finger on the stove and you burn your finger. Next time you walk past the stove, the subconscious mind knows and, and doesn't even have to verbally or thought process tell you, don't put your finger on the stove, you just won't do it. And so the subconscious develops all these beautiful, uh, time-saving, energy-saving, life-saving, in some cases, uh, uh, shortcuts, and bypasses the whole thinking process. Now that's great as long as it is the burn finger on the stove, and therefore it has a rational and logical and wonderful connectivity to the well-being of you playing the future, the playing your day, playing in the game. But if the memory is distorted, in other words, he did this to me, she did that to me, um, this was my bad luck, I don't have good luck. I, if the memories that are there cause your reactions in the present to certain things, then boom, you've got a memory taking you in the opposite direction to the future seeing that you're 
game that your vision, that your uh, anticipation and your expectation of life would take you. And so therefore, there is a significant chunk of live with spirit. There's a typical chunk of living inspired, which is live with spirit in spirit, um, that requires you to be vigilant, continually vigilant, not asleep. If you react, it's a memory. If you react angrily or if you react harshly or you react something, that's energy you're burning. Emotion, energy in motion. So every reaction is an emotion. The question's going to be, is it helpful or is it not? Is it steering you towards where you want to go or is it burning petrol, just wheel spinning? So I would say 80 to 90% of all reactions are wheel spinning, burning smoke, and it's the equivalent to driving a car, one foot on the accelerator, gee whiz, I'm going to the future, the other foot stuck on the brake firmly because the subconscious mind has a memory and it's spending the energy that you need to go where you wanna go in life and live long and live happy and live powerful and create the things you wanna create. It's burning the petrol because it's stuck in a subconscious memory of the past. And this is a really important part of every day, to choose one or two reactions, or all of them in my case, because I process every reaction. I write them down, I sit down with a little piece of uh, scrap paper in a cafe or on the beach or on the front balcony and I sit with a little scrap of paper and I go, what did I just react to? I was angry the kids didn't do what I say. What, 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 what is the reaction? Didn't do what I say. Uh-huh. Where do I not do what people say? What's the benefit to people of me not doing what they say? How do they benefit from me not doing what they say? And I finally go, oh my goodness me. I start to see that there is this um, desire to, to, to help people, but if I get angry or react to them, especially the little ones, I'm actually not helping them at all. And uh, it's a very primitive way to get things done is to get angry that people didn't do what you say. So I go through the, the, the discard form, but I don't always do it in Excel spreadsheets. I do it on scraps of paper and things. I think um, looking in the past, you can also be proactive with it. You don't have to wait for things to happen. You can look back into the past and say, what were the errors that I've made? Um, for example, we were laughing yesterday, Jess and I, and she said, don't you ever have an affair, I'll cut your head off. And I said, look, there's an old teaching, and the teaching goes something like this. It's funny. If you ever uh, create a chocolate factory and you have employees and you're worried about employees eating your product, firstly, you say you can't take any home because that would uh, crack the uh, shell of this conversation. But you do say you can eat as much chocolate as you want in the, while you're at work. And after about a month, that person will go, I don't want to eat chocolate, I don't want to eat chocolate. They'll finally get over it. And this is uh, Rajneesh, you know, Osho. 
This is his whole teaching about life, is restricting yourself from doing something is not going to cause you to be immune from the thing. So he said, if you've got an alcohol problem, drink yourself until you're um, you know, alcohol poisoned. And you probably will come to a point where you say, I just do, do not want to do this anymore. And it's the same with the chocolate factory. And unfortunately for me, with life, these affairs that I've had and the amount of um, fun and games I've had dancing around the maypole tree, uh, I said to Jess, goodness gracious me, I've had enough of that. And we both laughed like hell. Uh, she said, well, I still want a sexy life. I said, one is enough. Thank you very much. One person, I mean. So the chocolate factory. And so we can look at the past. And the point of this is looking at the past and realizing our mistakes and actually saying, I don't want to do that anymore, but I'm not going to do it by discipline. I'm simply going to do it by recognizing the learning I've drawn from the past and saying, well, I've had enough of that. It's the same with, um, uh, with uh, uh, exercise. I went to the gym and I started a gym course, you know, recently doing heavy weights, squats and big heavy weights in the gym. And to be truthful, I really, really struggle with it. And the reason is I rode at a very high level. I've uh, trained for uh, kayaking at a very high level and, and, and ocean racing at a very high level. And I've been in the gym in my life so bloody much. I am sick of squats. And, I'm, and I was standing there going, I really know the benefit, but I've eaten out of that bucket and I've eaten to exhaustion. And so then I started to think, how else can I do, get the benefit of the heavy weights without going to a gym to get the heavy weights? I bought some for home, that didn't work. And I realised that I really want to go back to something I haven't had enough of. And that's doing deep Ashtanga yoga practice where you use your body weight um, to simulate the squats, simulate the uh, um, 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 plank, simulate uh, um, um, you know, curls. Every single thing that I did in the gym is in the Ashtanga standing poses. So I thought, you know what? I haven't had enough of that. I really would love to. And so I took the past and I leveraged it into... Uh, designing the future. I know I need to do stuff to reinforce squats and it's got the myofascia in the human body um, is a huge, huge influence on our well-being and our mental and emotional health. And the myofascia is thickest, strongest in the quads, over the top of your quads. And so doing squats really, really, really changes your mental and emotional state. So, yeah, uh, rather than bore myself to death at a gym and just eat more chocolate, I thought, hey, you know what, I'll go back to something I didn't have enough of. And that's a great learning. The next thing when you live with spirit is you notice that your environment, the things around you are continually triggering you to be on or be in or out of the game. And so you start to become very aware of, of the tidiness or the, the order or the organisation of your, of your food, your diet, your health, your house, your, your clothing, your, 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 whole, your whole space. And that means you become quite um, 
determined. I think that's the word. So recently, a couple of great little stories. Recently, I paid, for me, a quite a lot of money to have a person who I thought could do it create a website for me. And uh, it's the first time I've paid for a website in, I don't know, 10 years. And some people have encouraged me to do so because my web is always changing and I'm always moving things around and, and, it, and it's, it's good for brand. And so I briefed uh, this person and I did a really uh, thorough letter of brief uh, and outlined the expectation I had and what I wanted it and I dreamed into the future what it would project and, and, uh, and share with the world and he went on and did it. And one of the things I said was it needed to be uh, exciting. It needed to be in in inspiring. And what he came up with was uh, safe. So it wasn't wrong, $3,000 down the toilet. It wasn't wrong, it was just safe. And I could have done safe without spending $3,000. And I had to make a decision. So what I did is I dumped it. I paid him and said, thanks for your work. Um, I uh, lazily didn't intervene harshly at any point along the way. And I let him take it with trust to its conclusion. But then I have to proceed further and go, I'm not going to waste $3,000, I'm not gonna wear it. So what I did is I sat down and, and wrote down everything I learned from what he did. In other words, I took what it wasn't and wrote that down. So I went through all the criticisms I have of what he did, what it wasn't, what it wasn't, what it wasn't, what it wasn't. And I just flipped those over and I, it, I created a branding statement for the presentations and the business that I do and how I stand in the world. And that was well worth $3,000. It was well worth the investment. And in the closure letter to him, I said, yeah, look, I didn't expect my money back. I'm clear you didn't uh, deliver, you delivered four, three of the six points of the, of the, um, of the objectives of the website and thank you for that. And for the other three, I am uh, um, not going to use the website. And but I didn't waste three thousand dollars. I don't want that to be the end of the story. Three thousand dollars blown away. And how easy is, is it to tell a story that's negative? Because everybody goes, "Oh man, three thousand dollars blown away. Oh, that's so bad. Oh, so negative. Oh, so bad. Oh, you know, taking the court. Oh, so bad." Instead of saying. I just spent the best $3,000 I spent in 2022. I just spent the best $3,000. I got a complete branding proposition for my business by looking at something and understanding what it isn't. The other one was that I bought some bike wheels from my uh, gravel bike, some spare wheels for road riding because the gravel bike comes with really wide tires and they are a very high rolling resistance for those of you who don't know bikes. And so I bought some road wheels, uh, lighter and narrower and faster. And I, and I bought it through someone I know. And that's another uh, uh, $3,000 of investment. Instead of buying a second bike, which would cost me $7,000 each for two people, because uh, Jess would want one too, I bought uh, $1,500 worth of wheels each for each bike 
And, and so for 1500 bucks, I get, a, in a sense, a second bike. <clears throat> and that, for me, is a really efficient way to use money. When the bike wheels arrived, they arrived with the wrong tyres on it. And I asked what's going on because the tyres, for me, are the whole reason that I bought the new wheels. <laughs> because rubber on the road is really the ultimate uh, reason that you would change the wheels of a bike. And, and, and the guy says, oh, it was hard to get the ones you wanted, so I chose those. And of course, that choice the, that he changed my path, changed my uh, result, was for him a quite a generous thing to do and very kind that he didn't bother me with the information. Another sip of tea, hang on. He didn't bother me with a thing. But he actually made a fairly life, not a life-changing decision, but a fairly future-seeing decision for me and so immediately I said thanks very much it's all okay I've now got uh, the wheels you supplied with the with the tires you supply I've now got spare wheels maybe I'll put them on in the winter and I ordered the ones I want and I'll put them on so undeterred I think is the word is when you live with spirit you you, you become undeterred and what you try to do is create positive uh, a result out of even the most challenging situation that you face. And it's all about the story you tell. And this, in story, this storytelling is about environment because it's the environment in your mind, the environment around you. So um, I'm sitting here at the breakfast table now doing this pod because uh, Jess is on the front on the turbo and the kids are asleep. So I'm inside the house doing my thing. And there's a banana. Uh, there's a, a fruit bowl just nearby me with uh, bananas that have gone past their date. They're a little bit starting to spot, <clears throat> and I don't think that's a really great uh, representation of the freshness and the liveliness that I believe we need to be surrounded with to be doing a podcast. So I moved them. <clears throat> Even a little thing like that. There was a tree outside my window. And that tree was, in a way, blocking the, the uh, magnificence of the uh, ferns and everything in the garden. So I went down and pruned it. And I'll do the same to the one in the front as next time there's a rainstorm and I won't get caught by the tree police. So you, you, you make up your mind that you want to play in the game of life and you will be undeterred from playing the game of life. But the biggest deterrent to the game of life is emotion. And therefore, mastering your emotions is the single biggest and most important part of living with spirit, being a great inspired leader in spirit leader, means that you, 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 you step away from everything you do. You step away from it. And to step away from it means that you are not emotively attached to it. And when you read all about attachment or uh, Eckhart Tolle, if you listen to the guy speak, he's as boring as batshit. But uh, if you look at, hear all these people talk about power of now or living in the moment, all are saying the same thing. The Dalai Lama, Deepak Chopra, Anthony Robbins, they're all saying the same thing is detachment. Now, they're saying it in a multitude of different ways about emotions. Have this emotion, but don't have that emotion. Uh, feel kindness, but don't feel cruelty. The, the teachings are primitive, antiquated, out of date. They are religious teachings. So let's be grounded and real when we talk about 
emotional control, emotional intelligence. Let's be grounded and honest with each other. Emotion is a very big part of life. Emotion is the love and intimacy we were talking about before, that fun and all these things that make being here today uh, interactive with other human beings. But the minute you have emotion towards something you do, you are blinded. It's like someone put a mask on your face or stuck a stick in your eyes. And as soon as you have emotion, like I like this and don't like that, as soon as you say, I want to be kind but not cruel, you become an emotional idiot. Even though you might say, I'm totally detached <clears throat> from my job, but I don't like the people in it. Or I'm totally detached from my job, but I don't like the product. Or I'm totally emotionally detached from my job, but, you know, I like something. And so the, the, the emotional consciousness which is the cone of consciousness you, and, the, and the video I did yesterday on the tree of consciousness. All of this is trying to say, let's be really, really, really grounded when it comes to the word emotion. Because if we use an emotion to solve emotional attachment, we multiply the problem we have by six. The, the, if, if I say, cruelty is bad and kindness is good. I've taken one emotion and I've used another emotion to solve it and I think I've done well. But all I've now done is attached myself to the word kindness. I remember being in a Zen retreat in the bush of Tasmania. There was a guy who was very, very, very dignified Zen master and his uh, partner who was an ex-ballet dancer who lived in this cabin in the middle of nowhere. The only way you could get there was to catch some sort of a, a bush bus that dropped you off at a gate number four or whatever it was on this uh, back road and walk three to five kilometres along a, a, a sort of a motorbike path and to find the cabin. And all you were allowed to bring were spare clothes. You were not allowed to bring papers and pens. There was a box at the front that you put all papers and pencils and phones and computers in. So it was completely um, off the grid, there's the word for it. And I went there for three weeks and, and, and the only language I spoke was for the first hour when I met them and they told me all about the place and what the daily routine was, which was, uh, I think, 3 a.m. in meditation and um, uh, 7 p.m. to bed and... Uh, meditating all day with two hours in the middle for, a, for the only food you would have all day. And after lunch, after that lunch, which lasted about 10 minutes to eat, um, there were chores and you would be delegated a job to do, like chopping wood or clearing the snakes away from the place. So anyway, in the first five seconds of that meditation, where we were in dead silence and were bidden to dead silence for the next three weeks. I got it. Detachment. I got it. Huh. Detached. I can be detached. That is the secret. I got it. And I celebrated that for three weeks. I'm detached. I'm totally detached. I'm really, really detached. I'm detached from everything. And my emotions all went away and I became very zen. 
and I became very, what's the, what's the word for it, uh, uh, observant. I could observe everything because I was detached from it. And that powerful observant mean almost like I had x-ray vision for a period of time, <clears throat> or what I thought at the time was enlightenment. So we get to the end of this three weeks and some of the stories over that three weeks of things that happened are mind-blowing hilarious. But at the end of the three weeks, we were allowed to speak for one hour before we left and walked back down that dirt path that I talked about to catch the bus. I think there was about five of us in the retreat. Anyway, at the very end, one by one, we went into the room, to their little shack, because we slept somewhere else. And we could speak. And I said, I found it in the first five seconds. Detachment. And the guy looked at me long and slow, thoughtfully, and he smiled and he goes, Chris, your attachment to detachment has now become your biggest problem. Fuck it. Fuck it. Three weeks. I became attached to detached. What a mind-blowing bloody shit thing. And it made me realise that emotion wants to cling and grab on to the right and remove itself from the wrong in order to feel righteous. And that's what I'd done. I'd become righteous. So... Learning to manage your emotions is the most important thing and not to substitute a good emotion for a bad one, which is poison. It's like swallowing poison to get rid of uh, the flu and ending up really sick because if you attach to the positive of something and try to reject the negative, you drag the negative. You drag it into your subconscious and automatically you start responding to cruelty very quickly and very uh, reactively, which is more emotion, of course. Finally, the thing, the, the last thing when you live with spirit is you learn this thing called patience. Now, if emotional mastery is the thing that gives you detachment, patience protects you from making moronic mistakes. Patience is a skill. It doesn't come naturally. Nothing about living with spirit is absolutely natural. Nothing about being powerful is natural. It's more like godlike than anything in the natural world. And patience is the supreme virtue of spiritual awareness. Patience. Your soul can't read a clock. Your soul does not know time. It doesn't care. And that's why the greatest and the most cruel people on earth are absolutely time-driven. Anybody who's living their life on the basis of what time is it, what time is it, what time is it, what times have to be finished, what time do I have to start, what time's the next meeting, what time are committing one of the most heinous crimes on themselves that anybody could commit. In a prison, you lose control of time. Time. 
Time becomes your enemy because you're imprisoned for so many days, years, months in work when it's 8 o'clock meeting, 9 o'clock meeting, 9.30, 9.15, 9.20, 9.20 meeting, 9.20. You're time dependent. And the cruelest people you meet in a business environment, the most harsh, and the people who are actually trying to be powerful by being a slave driver are always talking about when. When will it be done? When, when, when? What time, what time, what time, what time? Now, we all must recognise the fact that life is moving and the clock is moving and therefore every time we don't get something done on time, we slip. That's, a, that's an acknowledgement. But if time becomes the reason that you get something done now, the time becomes the reason that you get something done by nine o'clock, if time becomes the reason you are committing a cruelty onto yourself of indescribable proportion, enthusiasm replaces time, inspiration replaces time. I remember going to an incredible healer, an incredible healer, a person who could, I think, perform miracles. And I went there and I thought, well, I have an appointment, it'll be an hour. So I went there and after two minutes, the guy said, you're done. I said, what about the other 58 minutes? He says, you're done. What a miracle. What would happen if you went to a meeting at work and after two minutes you go, here's the objective of the meeting, everybody. And they, you go, click, click, and you go, it's done. What if you sent an email that was so positive and so solution-orientated that there was no need for discussion instead of saying, let's talk about this at 10 o'clock? What if compression of the amount of energy and effort that needs to be done to get something done was done because it was you were enthusiastic to get more done? What if it became your inspiration to show love to somebody in the shortest period of time rather than to try and lick it out over hours or months or years to try and stretch it out? What if? What if how long it took to get fit every day became five minutes of the most perfect exercise regime instead of two hours wandering around a gym looking at TV? What if the time was in the background, but the enthusiasm to play the game of life came to the foreground? Have you ever met an artist who said, who painted a great piece of work or took a great photograph saying, I have to get this done by 10 o'clock. When you hear an artist say, I have an exhibition, I need to get this painting done by eight o'clock or by tomorrow or Sunday, you hear a person who is in torture and who is creating things by, uh, by autopilot, not creating art. If you compose a music some music, or you write a poem, do you give yourself a time limit? Of course you don't. It's a killer 
of the spirit. It's the killer of the soul. You cast time on things because you want to compress so much into a short period of time. And because we are not enthusiastic to get things done quicker, we measure them by how much time they took. I met with Donald Trump in New York way back a thousand years ago, 80 something. We had a proposal, a big, big proposal and needed funding. And I walked into his office and, with my partner at the time and we, to present and he just turned this great big egg uh, uh, sand thing that goes through the egg, uh, goes through to, you know, like the egg timer. He just turned this great big one upside down on his desk and that signified the next 15 minutes was mine. And blah, 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 blah. And I'm watching the sand go down. Blah, 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 blah. 15 minutes. He looked up and said, no. Next. And the transition between us going out and the next people coming in was three seconds. So he cluster booked people all day. We're all, the reception was full of them. I heard later on that the people who get the proposals through him and he signs off right on the spot, use three minutes. Huh. Damn. If I'd known, I actually wasted 12 minutes of Donald Trump's time. I think this is where you live with spirit. It's not about lounging around and lingering in the sun and going for four-hour runs or riding your bike for a week if you're not in the Tour de France. It's about how you can get everything you need because you're enthusiastic to get it and then get something else and get something else. You're enthusiastic to compress things into the most beautiful moment when you smell a flower. Do you smell it for a week or you go, oh my gosh. And it creates a moment. When you're doing a project, do you validate yourself by saying, I worked really hard for a week? Or do you find the solution and then deliver it? Patience. Patience is not the absence of time aware, time awareness. Patience is the presence of time awareness. The value of it. The value of it. You don't hurry big decisions. You value the time of preparing for them. I spoke to a person yesterday who said, I've got this problem. Here's the problem. And I said, write it down. I said, write it down. If you spend 30 seconds doing four columns on any problem you have, you are saving time because you're compressing mind noise, emotion, attachment. You're compressing all of that into a shorter space of time because writing things down on a piece of paper is the fastest way to ground yourself into an accurate decision that doesn't make moronic blunders that teach you the other side of the coin 12 months later. That's patience. The patience 
to do it right. The patience to save time. The patience to do it once. The patience. All of this comes down to power. And when you think about it, if you live with spirit, it's amoral. And that's the challenge. We'll talk about that another day. This is Chris with a very long podcast. Bye for now.